a mulatto woman who served at table seemed to take an interest in our behalf, told us to cheer up and not to be so cast down. Breakfast over, the handcuffs were restored and Birch ordered us out on the stern deck. We sat down together on some boxes, still saying nothing in Birch's presence. Occasionally, a passenger would walk out to where we were, look at us for a while, then silently return. It was a very pleasant morning. The fields along the river were covered with verdure, far in advance of what I had been accustomed to see at that season of the year. The sun shone out warmly. The birds were singing in the trees. The happy birds. I envied them. I wished for wings like them, that I might cleave the air to where my birdlings waited vainly for their father's coming, in the cooler region of the north. In the forenoon, the steamer reached Aquia Creek. There the passengers took stages, Birch and his five slaves occupying one exclusively. He laughed with the children, and at one stopping place went so far as to purchase them a piece of gingerbread. He told me to hold up my head and look smart that I might perhaps get a good master if I behaved myself. I made him no reply. His face was hateful to me, and I could not bear to look upon it. I sat in the corner, cherishing in my heart the hope, not yet extinct, of some day meeting the tyrant on the soil of my native state. At Fredericksburg, we were transferred from the stagecoach to a car, and before dark arrived in Richmond, the chief city of Virginia. At this city we were taken from the cars, and driven through the street to a slave pen, between the railroad depot and the river, kept by a Mr. Goodin. This pen is similar to Williams's in Washington, except it is somewhat larger, and besides, there were two small houses standing at opposite corners within the yard. These houses are usually found within slave yards, being used as rooms for the examination of human chattels by purchasers before concluding a bargain. Unsoundness in a slave, as well as in a horse, detracts materially from his value. If no warranty is given, a close examination is a matter of particular importance to the Negro jockey. We were met at the door of Goodin's yard by that gentleman himself, a short, fat man with a round, plump face, black hair and whiskers, and a complexion almost as dark as some of his own negroes. He had a hard, stern look, and was perhaps about fifty years of age. Birch and he met with great cordiality. They were evidently old friends. Shaking each other warmly by the hand, Birch remarked he had brought some company, inquired at what time the brig would leave, and was answered that it would probably leave the next day at such an hour. Goodin then turned to me, took hold of my arm, turned me partly round, looked at me sharply with the air of one who considered himself a good judge of property, and as if estimating in his own mind about how much I was worth. Well, boy, where did you come from? Forgetting myself for a moment, I answered, from New York. New York? Hell! What have you been doing up there? was his astonished interrogatory. Observing Birch at this moment looking at me with an angry expression that conveyed a meaning it was not difficult to understand, I immediately said, Oh, I have only been up that way a piece, in a manner intended to imply that, although I might have been as far as New York, yet I wished it distinctly understood that I did not belong to that free state nor to any other. Goodin then turned to Clem and then to Eliza and the children, 
examining them severally and asking various questions. He was pleased with Emily, as was everyone who saw the child's sweet countenance. She was not as tidy as when I first beheld her. Her hair was now somewhat dishevelled, but through its unkempt and soft profusion there still beamed a little face of most surpassing loveliness. Altogether we were a fair lot, a devilish good lot, he said, enforcing that opinion with more than one emphatic adjective not found in the Christian vocabulary. Thereupon we passed into the yard. Quite a number of slaves, as many as thirty, I should say, were moving about or sitting on benches under the shed. They were all cleanly dressed, the men with hats, the women with handkerchiefs tied about their heads. Birch and Goodin, after separating from us, walked up the steps at the back part of the main building and sat down upon the door sill. They entered into conversation, but the subject of it I could not hear.' 